not able to be with us on Tuesday mornings, I just really encourage you to keep up with us. Listen to the messages online because one message builds on the next, on the next, on the next. And God is doing some really awesome things. And I'm hearing great reports of what he's doing in people's lives. It's so amazing. And so I just encourage you, don't just come once a month, but stay up with us. Come once a month, but also be listening to those messages. And this season, from January through uh, May, until we break for summer, where we're focusing right now, you'll notice these on our Chick Connection little promo cards, we have these words running down the side of the cards. And these words are painted on these canvases behind me. And these are not just random words that we thought, oh, those sound nice and lovely, let's put those up there. No, these are words that I really feel like the Spirit of God just dropped in my heart and where we're putting our focus and what He's speaking to us in this season. And it all works together. If we're going to live a life that flourishes, that thrives, then we've got to be reaching. We've got to be stretching. We've got to be loving others. We've got to be radiating. They all work together. And last month in January... When we were together on Monday night, those of you who were here, you know we talked about reaching for what's ahead. And in the following Tuesdays, we talked about stretching and expanding our territory, expanding our influence and stretching beyond our comfort zones. And this month in February, we're really focusing on loving others, embracing others. And last Tuesday... We started talking about love, but from the perspective of God's love for us, because that's where it starts. We love him because he first loved us, and we need that revelation of his love for us. And it's not a one-time revelation upon salvation. It should be fresh and alive in our hearts every single day. And so if you were not here last Tuesday, I am asking you, take the time to listen to the message from last week because it is central, core to our lives as believers, to who God wants us to be, how he sees us, and how he wants us to see ourselves. And everything else floods out of his love for us. So I just encourage you, take time to listen to that. And today we are moving forward and talking about loving others. So there you go. That was the nutshell to get you up to speed. Are you ready? Okay, let's pray. Father, God, we just thank you for your presence here with us in this place tonight. And Father, I'm just asking right now that you'd speak to each and every one of us what we need to hear from you. God, I pray that our ears would be open, our spiritual ears, that our hearts would be open to receive from you. Father, speak to us, each and every one of us, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. Well, how many of you here tonight are married? Okay, good. How many of you hope to maybe someday be married? Raise your hands. Okay, great. How many of you know someone who's married? Okay. (laughs) We should have gotten everyone in the room. (laughs) 
And you know, tonight, as we're, we're talking about loving others, but tonight we're starting with talking about loving our husbands. And that's where our focus is tonight. And I know this evening we have a lot of young girls in the room tonight, and I want to talk to you for a second. It's not time to check out and say, oh, great, they're talking to my mom. <laughs> no, you know what? I believe the Spirit of God wants to speak to you young gals as well and deposit some things in your heart for your future. Because all of us as women, we need to know what the Bible says about the role of a wife. What's a wife to do? We all need to know. Whether we're married, whether we hope to be married someday, or whether we're a girlfriend of someone who's married that might talk to us about their marriage, we need to know what the Bible says to be able to give good girlfriend advice, right? The Bible has a lot to say about what a wife's to do. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. So if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter chapter 3. And a while back, I was reading 1 Peter 3 in the Amplified Bible. It is so awesome in the Amplified Bible. And I love the Amplified Bible because, you know, it just amplifies everything. (laughs) I say it's the chick version because it uses more words. But actually what it does, it, it expounds on the scriptures and it reveals more of the uh, original definitions and the original writings. And it just elaborates based on the original writings. And so I love the Amplified Bible. And First Peter 3 is just amazing in the Amplified Bible. And as I was reading it recently, I thought, man, if everybody did what it says here in First Peter 3, there'd be no marriage problems. (laughs) It is amazing. And it's instruction for all of us. It's instruction for us as wives to know who God has created us to be as wives and how he's called us to live as wives. And so we don't normally do it quite like this at Chick Connection where we do Bible study, kind of verse by verse, but that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to go through a good portion of 1 Peter 3, verse by verse, and pull out some of these rich nuggets of what God says the role of a wife is. So let's start in verse 1. It says, In like manner, you married women, be submissive to your own husbands. Subordinate yourselves as being secondary to and dependent on them and adapt yourselves to them so that even if any do not obey the word of God, they may be won over not by discussion, but by the godly lives of their wives. So let's first talk about this word submissive, our favorite word. That's really the crux of verse 1 here, talking about wives being submissive to our husbands. Submissive doesn't mean that we become a doormat. Why is it that so many women cringe when they hear that word, submit, uh, be submissive? We don't need to cringe over this word. It doesn't mean that we become a doormat. It doesn't mean that we have someone rule over us with an iron fist. It doesn't 
mean that we rule over anyone else by telling them what to do, which we kind of like to do sometimes. (laughs) That's not what it means. In Genesis, it says that God put male and female in the garden to rule together. We're to be at each other's side, not one ruling over the other, but at each other's side. The literal definition of submit, it means to make a mutual agreement. You know, every marriage relationship is going to be different because it's made up of different people. And no two people are exactly the same. Everyone is wired differently, has different personalities. So every marriage is going to be different. But in each marriage, each couple needs to come to a mutual arrangement, a mutual agreement of what's going to work in this marriage. Okay, well, you take care of this. I'll do this. We're going to navigate situations like this. They come to an arrangement that they agree upon that works for them. But that definition of submitted also means a voluntary attitude of cooperating. A voluntary attitude of cooperating, a willingness to cooperate. So we come with this arrangement that we've decided on, but then we have to be willing to cooperate with that. Not fight against our husband, not fighting and pulling for our own way, but cooperating together. And it also means to yield because you know there will be times when there's a decision to be made and we each bring our thoughts and our perspective to the table and you know our input and what we think should happen but if we can't come to an agreement then ultimately the husband has the authority to make that decision and our role is to yield to him and you know what that's actually a freeing thing but women tend to get really freaked out over that and think well how come he gets to make the decision well i don't know if he's going to make a good decision i want to make the decision ladies we've got to realize how freeing it is that god's given them that responsibility we bring our input to the table but then we yield to them and let them make that decision and they have that responsibility that weight of being accountable to god with that but to submit it's actually a freeing thing and young girls in the room tonight i want to talk to you for a minute all of you who are unmarried actually next to accepting jesus as your savior the person you choose to marry is the most important decision of your life. Because as a believer, you know, there are things that God's depositing in your heart. Maybe things that he's whispered to your heart for your future and where he's taken you and what he has for you and his plan and his purpose for you. And you need to go forward in that direction. But if you get distracted over here, because this guy's really cute, And he's so funny and he makes you laugh. You know what? He might be going in a different direction. And ultimately, when you're married, you're going to yield to him. You're going to adapt to him. And you're going to end up 
on a different track than where you may have been heading. It is such an important decision, and it will greatly impact your future. So girls, don't ever take that decision lightly. It is a big decision, but it's an easy decision if you just go forward in the direction that God's called you to go, pursuing the things he's put in your heart to pursue. And then as you're on that track, you know what? You're going to come across someone else who's also on that track. And then as your lives emerge, you're going to complement each other. You're going to be working together for the cause of Christ, fulfilling his plans and his purposes together. And life will be awesome together when you allow yourself to align with someone on that track. All right? And all the moms said, amen. (laughs) All right, but maybe you're here tonight and... You've already made that decision, and you're married. And maybe your husband is not a believer. Or maybe he's just not really following God at the moment. You've got some interesting things sometimes to navigate and to figure out how to walk those out. But you know what? This verse that we just read says clearly that it is not your discussion It is not your correction. It is not your arguing. It is not your pointing out all the things the Bible says that he should be doing that's going to get him on track with God, that's going to win him over. Those things, they're only going to push him further away. But it says so clearly that it's our godly conduct that will draw him closer to God. So what is our godly conduct? What does that look like? First, it's that willingness to yield, to cooperate with him rather than fighting against him that's going to draw him to God. Do you realize that our yielding can actually put him in the place of being the spiritual leader? Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, but He's not a spiritual leader. He's not the spiritual leader in the home. So I've had to step into that role, and, and it's not easy. And, and what do I do? And he's not going to take that place. You know what? You're right. As long as you're in that place, he can't take that place. And I've talked to so many women. It's the cry of their hearts for their husband to be that spiritual leader in their home. But so many women, when they don't see it, they step into that place. And they think, well, somebody's got to be here. But what we've done is booted him out of that place. And generally, when a woman's standing in that place where she wasn't created to be, she's standing there the whole time. I can't believe I have to be in this place. Why won't he stand in this place? Well, honey, he can't get in that place because you're consuming that place. But if we step out of that place and when the opportunities arise, maybe a decision needs to be made. and We're sharing our perspective and he's sharing his perspective. And maybe we're not agreeing. Maybe we're not seeing eye to eye. Instead of stepping in that place and saying, well, this is what God's saying for our family and this is what we're doing. No. Instead of doing that, step back. Come alongside And when we yield, 
you know what happens? We actually come under and push him up into that place. And it propels him and positions him to be that spiritual leader in the home. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, but he doesn't know how to do that. He, he might not pray about it. He might not listen to God. That's okay. We need to do our part. And then once we say, okay, honey, you know what? This is what I think, but I want you to know whatever you decide, I'm with you. And this is your decision. And we don't stand there and say, but you had better be listening to God. And you had better be reading your Bible. No, we're coming under and pushing him up. And so we're saying things more like, you know what? I am so thankful that you're the leader in our home. And I am trusting you with this decision. I want you to know I believe in you. I'm with you. I am standing with you in whatever you decide. And maybe you're thinking, but I'm afraid and I don't know if he's going to make the right decision. Can you trust God? If you do what God's asked you to do, then you can trust that God's going to take care of you. Position him in that place where that responsibility is on him. Position him in that place that God's called him to live in. And then to let him know you believe in him. And you know what? Before you know it, he's going to sense that responsibility and know without you telling him, no, oh, I better be listening to God. I better be making a wise decision here. And we enable him to be the spiritual head of the home. Our yielding can make a dramatic shift in our marriages. And then verse 2 also continues and talks about what our conduct should look like. Verse 1 talks about that godly conduct of submitting, of yielding, of cooperating. But verse 2 it says, When they, our husbands, observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourselves together with your reverence for your husband. So it's talking about two things working together here. First, our pure and modest conduct working together with our reverence for our husband. And we're going to see how those two things work and they're powerful to work in miracles in our marriages. First of all, let's talk about that pure and modest conduct. What is that? Pure conduct. How about our motives? We need to examine whether or not our motives are always pure in our marriage. Or are we manipulating? Are we trying to get our way? Well, I'll just use a little reverse psychology and then he'll do it my way. Are we playing games? Are we manipulating? We need to have pure conduct. No manipulation. No game playing. Examining our motives, having pure motives where we're sincerely, genuinely looking out for their best. Not our best, but theirs. Modest conduct. Are you living modestly? Are you trying to get other men's attention? How are you dressing? You know, we can dress stylishly and you know, be in fashion 
and still be modest. When you go into the workplace or school or wherever you go, are you dressing to get men's attention? How are you behaving? Are you wanting to be the center of attention, flirting with everyone? And you might say, oh, it's just harmless fun at work. It's no big deal. I love my husband. You know what? You're playing with fire and opening the door that can bring destruction in your home. We need to have pure and modest conduct. And it is amazing the power that's in that type of conduct to impact our husbands. In verse I'm sorry, in Proverbs 12, verse 4, it says, A virtuous and worthy wife, earnest and strong in character, is a crowning joy to her husband. But she who makes him ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. When we lack pure and modest conduct, we can bring shame and embarrassment to our husbands. And then we are as rottenness in his bones. I don't want to be as rottenness in my husband's bones. How about you? We need to have that pure and modest conduct. But it's that working together with the reverence for him. Let's look back at verse 2 in First Peter 3. When they observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourselves together with your reverence for your husband, you are to feel for him all that reverence includes. Listen to this list of what reverence includes. To respect, defer to, revere him, to honor, esteem, appreciate, prize And in the human sense, to adore him, that is to admire, praise, be devoted to, deeply love and enjoy your husbands. Wow, that word reverence is a rich, weighty word that encompasses a lot. So let's talk about some of those things. Respect. Ephesians 5.33 says that wives are to respect our husbands, right? Men are created and wired to crave respect. That's why it tells us in Ephesians 5, we want love. It says, men, husbands, love your wives, but wives respect your husbands. They need our respect. Maybe you're here tonight and you're sitting there saying, you don't know my husband. There's nothing to respect about him. I have heard women say that. Yes. There is. You know what? Regardless of your husband's conduct or behavior, he is made in the image and likeness of God. And God loves him. And God has a plan and a purpose for him. Maybe he just hasn't realized that yet. But God has put incredible potential within him. So you can respect the potential within him. You can respect the fact that he's made in the image and likeness of God, that God has a plan and a purpose for his life. And if you want him to discover what that is, then we need to respect that potential that God has put within him and begin to speak to that potential and draw that potential out. If we're not respecting him, then most likely 
We're degrading him, devaluing him in the way we speak to him. Are our words building him up and respecting him, drawing out that potential, or tearing him down? We need to be wives that respect our husbands. And no matter what, we can have respect for them. Reverence, it also means to defer to. In other words, yield, submit, what we've already talked about. It means to honor. What is it to honor someone? When we honor someone, we prefer them, right? We speak kindly, graciously. We make sure they have what they need. They're taken care of. Do we honor our husbands? Or do we say, fend for yourself? It means to appreciate. Gary and I, when we got married, we just determined that we did not want to wind up in a place where we took each other for granted. So we said, we're going to start at the beginning. And we just decided from the day one of our marriage, we were going to always do our best to appreciate each other and to verbalize that appreciation. So when he takes the trash out, I express appreciation. When he plants flowers in the yard like he did today, I express appreciation. When I make dinner, he expresses appreciation. When I do little things for him, he's great about appreciating that. And it's amazing what happens in our home. It cultivates an atmosphere of appreciation in our home. Ladies, our words are so important. And you know what? This really crosses over into into any relationship, we need to recognize the weight of our words and what our words can create in our relationships. Reverence, it also means to adore. And in verse 2 there, it expounds on what it means to adore, to admire, to praise, to be devoted to, to love deeply. You know what those words remind me of? In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 32, it talks about the correlation of the relationship of the husband and wife relationship and Christ and the church relationship. And it says that husbands should love their wives as Christ loves the church, but also that wives should then respond to our husbands as the church responds to Christ. How does the church, the body of Christ, respond to our Savior? Isn't it exactly this with adoration, or with admiration, with praise, with devotion, with deep, sincere love? Are we exemplifying in our marriage how the church responds to Jesus? That's our part. We can sit back and say, well, when he loves me, I Christ loves the church. Then, no, we're not here to focus on his part. We're called to do our part. And then lastly there in verse 2, it says, enjoy your husband. Ladies, we need to be women that enjoy being with our husbands. Enjoy hanging out with our husbands. Women who laugh, who have fun, who are happy. I hear husbands say that it sets all right in their world when their wife is happy. It means more to them to have a happy wife than we can ever imagine. They want 
us to be happy. Yet so often we get our eyes on circumstances and on frustrations and we're grumpy and we're cranky and we take it out on them. Proverbs 21.9, it says, It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop. Listen to it in the Amplified. This is great. It says, On the flat oriental roof exposed to all kinds of weather than in a house shared with a nagging, quarrelsome, and fault-finding woman. If we're not happy, then chances are we're going to be nagging, quarrelsome, and fault-finding. And our husbands would rather be up on the corner of the roof with a thunderstorm pouring down on them than in the house with us. We need to recognize how much it means to them for us to be happy, for us to enjoy them and enjoy being with them. This kind of conduct that it's laying out here in verses 1 and 2 has the power to work miracles in our marriages. We can't be women that just sit back and say, well, when he changes, I'll change. If we want change in our marriage, we need to be the change. It takes one to change the cycle. We've got to recognize what God's saying to us and how he's instructing us to live as wives. Verse 3, it says, Let not yours be merely external adorning with elaborate interweaving and knotting of the hair, the wearing of jewelry or the changes of clothes. It's not external beauty only. It doesn't mean, it doesn't say that you can't do any of that. It just says not merely the external adorning. So not only external adorning. And ladies, you know what? We need to be really careful to refuse to buy into the lie that that is what will get him to want us, to treat us great, to be the leader in our home. If only we can look just like the media says we can look. If only we look like the supermodel, then he's going to love me. Then he's going to treat me great. You know what? The world wants us to buy into that lie, but it's not the external. Sure, yes, we should look our best. It's great to look nice, but it's not that external adorning that's going to impact his behavior, how he treats us, nearly like it is the internal adorning. Look at verse 4. But let it be the inward adorning and beauty of the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible and unfading charm of a gentle and peaceful spirit which is not anxious or wrought up but is very precious in the sight of God. Inward beauty. It's incorruptible. It's unfading. Outward beauty, sad to say, it's fading. And someday we will not look as youthful as we did when we were 20. It is fading. But the inward beauty is not fading. We need to put our focus there. We need to give heed and attention to that internal beauty. That means our relationship with God. We need to give care to our relationship with God. We need to nurture our relationship with God 
Because when we take time with him, when we become that wife that spends time with God, that means that we're going to end up bringing everything to God. Our anxieties, our fears, our worries, our cares, we're going to bring it all to God. And then what does he do? He gives us that supernatural peace that passes all natural understanding. So then when our husband comes home or when we come home and see him, We've got this overwhelming peace. We're not anxious. We're not wrought up like it talks about here. But if we're not nurturing that relationship with God, if we're not bringing everything to him, what happens? We're all anxious. We're frustrated. We're all wrought up. And our husband's like, oh, what happened to you? Well, I'm going to the rooftop. <laughs> our relationship with God radically impacts our relationship with our husband. It is imperative that we nurture our relationship with God. And then in verses 5 and 6, it talks about the women of old, and this is how they went about building beauty into their lives, by focusing on that inner man. And it talks about Sarah and how she lived in this way as well, and we're to follow her example. And when we do, it says that we're, we're her daughters. And the second half of verse 6 there It says, and you are now her true daughters if you do right and let nothing terrify you. Not giving way to hysterical fears or letting anxieties unnerve you. Any women in this room ever been hysterical? (laughs) Wow, no hands. Uh Uh-huh, really? (laughs) Anyone ever had anxiety unnerve you and you come unraveled and unglued? All right, a few more honest women now. Sure. (laughs) But we've got to be nurturing our relationship with God where we come to him. We realize he loves us. He's in control. We can give it to him. We don't need to take it out on our husbands. What does it say to him when we're anxious, when we're hysterical? It's telling him that He's blown it. He, when he sees a hysterical wife, he's going, oh, what do I do? What do I do with her? Oh, my gosh, I, I haven't done it right. Oh, great, I'm a failure. She's unhappy. She's miserable. That's how it's perceived. Ladies, we've got to realize what our behavior is communicating. And if we are nurturing our relationship with God, we're not going to be that hysterical wife. We're not going to be that one that's unraveling and coming apart at the seams. Our peace is not dependent on our husband's behavior. Our peace comes from God alone, and it greatly impacts our marriage. So verses 1 through 6 give us some very clear instructions for us as wives. Ladies, when your girlfriend is having marriage problems, this is what we need to be conveying. Not, well, I can't believe he did that. No, you just get out of there. Hey, (laughs) we need to be godly girlfriends that know what the word says and give godly advice. So verse 1 through 6 is very clear instructions for us as wives, our part. And then verse 7 is for the husbands. Hmm. Wow, one verse. Okay. (laughs) Don't worry. There's plenty of other verses for them. Okay? (laughs) 
And then verses 8 through 11, it's for all of us, for everybody, how we should interact with people, whether we're married or not. But most definitely, if we're married, this is definitely how each of us should be treating each other in that marriage relationship, in addition to the things that we already talked about. So I want us quickly to look at these verses here, not with the perspective of, well, he should be treating me this way. Well, when he does, I will. No, we're looking this at this for our part alone, okay? Verse 8, it says, Finally, all of you should be of one and the same mind, united in spirit, sympathizing with one another, loving each other as brethren of one household, compassionate and courteous, tender-hearted and humble. Are you sympathetic with your husbands? Are you compassionate? Are you courteous? Are you tender-hearted and humble? Verse 9, never return evil for evil or insult for insult, scolding, tongue-lashing, berating. Let's pause there for a minute. It is amazing to me how many couples I hear speaking to each other in a way that they would not even speak to a stranger. Girls, we've got to realize the power of our words, what we're sowing into our marriages by our words. It continues, it says, but on the contrary, blessing praying for their welfare, happiness and protection, and truly pitying and loving them. Listen to these next words. It says, For know that to this you have been called. Wow. Speaking words that will build up, that will never tear down, having godly conduct and behavior, to this we have been called. Every single one of us. That's the way we should be walking out all of our relationships. It continues, so that you may yourselves inherit a blessing from God, that you may obtain a blessing as heirs, bringing welfare and happiness and protection. For let him who wants to enjoy life and see good days, good, whether apparent or not, keep his tongue free from evil, and his lips from guile, treachery, deceit. I love that. Good, whether apparent or not. You realize circumstances might not be good around us, but we can have a good day in the midst of it. When we're nurturing our relationship with God, we have his peace, his joy, his love flooding through us onto others around us, which means our words are speaking life. We're not tearing down. We're building up. That means our relationships are good, our marriage is good. So no matter what is happening, no matter what circumstances are raging around us, we're having a good day because we have God's peace and we have a healthy marriage because we're living as the wife God's created us to live. We're sowing life into our marriage. And then in verse 11, it says, let him, remember this is talking to both of us, let us, let me turn away from wickedness and shun it. 
and let him do right. Let me do right. Let me search for peace, harmony, undisturbedness from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflicts, and seek it eagerly. Do not merely desire peaceful relations with God, with your fellow man, and with yourself, but pursue and go after them. We can't just sit back and say, well, I wish I had a more peaceful marriage. I wish I had a better marriage. No, we need to pursue our part, to go after it, to have a determination in our hearts. I'm going to be the wife God's created me to be and called me to be, regardless of what my husband's doing. We need to pursue that and go after that. And I think these verses can really be summed up in two words, in the words of Mary Carter, be nice. <laughs> you heard Gary share the story of a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday that in our staff meeting, one day Mary was celebrating her 36th anniversary, and we had a couple of gals in that meeting that were engaged to be married, and we said, okay, Mary, what's your advice? 36 years, what's the secret to success? And without hesitation, she said, be nice. (laughs) I love that. Very simple and very profound. And it really wraps up these verses. Ladies, we got to be nice to our husbands. So life into our marriages. We cannot afford to sit back and say, well, when he does his part, I'll do mine. We can't afford to say, to just sit back and say, well, what about his part? When is he going to do his part? Well, what about it? That's between he and God. Any of you have kids and siblings like to get into each other's business? Have you ever heard them saying, well, how come she doesn't have to do that? Well, how come I have to do that? Well, why don't they have to do that? Well, how come they didn't get in trouble for that? How come that? And you say to them, mind your own business. (laughs) Don't worry about them. Just worry about yourself. I wonder sometimes, are we like that with God? Is he saying that to us? Just focus on your part. Do what I've created you to do. Because when we get focused on their part... And we sit back and say, well, how come they're not? You know what we're doing? We're putting the brakes on our marriage and causing it to stop and to stand still right where it's at. We've got to be aware of our expectations. Are we going to sit there with those expectations of, well, when he does, I will? Our expectations have the power to sabotage our marriage. Unrealistic expectations can be the greatest enemy of our relationships. When we get let down, when we get disappointed, when we get our feelings hurt, so often the bottom line is I didn't get my way. My expectation wasn't met. And we could say, well, the Bible says he's supposed to. Da, 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 da. Stop. Don't worry about his part. Leave that with him. Don't focus on his part. Focus on your part. Sometimes that means a little die into the flesh, doesn't it? Yeah. But focus on our part. It has the ability to work the miraculous 
in our relationships. You see, it's dangerous to focus on his part because our interpretation of his part and his interpretation of his part are always going to be two different things. Let me give you a quick example. Oh, it's late. Okay. Um, <laughs> women's hearts cry out for their husbands to be the spiritual leaders in their homes. They want their husband to have a relationship with God like they do. Do your husbands or any men that you know have relationships with their guy friends the way you have relationships with your girlfriends? No. Do they like to visit and talk on the phone, talk about what they're going to wear? No. (laughs) Do they like to go to a good romantic comedy and cry at a touching, heartwarming movie? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. No. Well, I don't know about your husband, but as a general rule, no. So if they don't do relationships with guys the way we do relationships with girls, what makes us think... They're going to do their relationship with God the way we do our relationship with God. They're wired differently. And they're wired by God just like we are. So they're not wired wrong. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) They're just wired differently. And so if we're expecting them to have the relationship with God like we do, then we're having unrealistic expectations. And our unrealistic expectations can sabotage our relationship. We've got to be communicating about expectations. You know, most couples never discuss what it means to be spiritual leader. We enter into marriage with, in our minds, thinking he's going to be a spiritual leader. And to me, that means da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And he may enter into the marriage thinking, I'm going to be a spiritual leader. And to me, that means da-da-da-da-da. And we never talk about those things. We just assume that what it means to me, it means to everybody. You know, the Bible doesn't lay it out real clear and say, as a spiritual head of the home, you will do X, Y, Z. You'll read your Bible at this time. You will read this many chapters. You will pray with your wife. You will do a couple's devotional. You will do this and that. (laughs) No, the Bible doesn't say that. We might think that, and we might think that our thinking is absolutely right. But you know what? That's an expectation that can be an unrealistic expectation that will cause us to be continually disappointed and hurt. We've got to recognize where we have unrealistic expectations and begin to talk about things begin to cut them some slack begin to realize that they're wired differently by god and it's okay begin to just get our focus on our part quit expecting them to do certain things and start expecting ourselves to do what the word says and you might be sitting there and say well does that mean that i shouldn't have any expectations of him no It doesn't. Does it mean that it's okay to be treated badly or abusively or without fidelity? No, of course not. And you know what? There may be times when a marriage relationship hits some real bumps in the road and some real rocky times and you need some extra help. 
you know what? We need godly counsel. That's what the church is here for. There is no shame in needing help whatsoever. It absolutely breaks our hearts when we see couples run from church when they hit some bumps in the road because they don't want anyone to know. Because they think, well, if people know we're having marriage problems, they're going to think we're bad Christians. No, people hit bumps in the road. We live in this world. We face challenges. But that's what the body of Christ is here for, to encourage, to help, even to put practical tools in hands. We're excited that later this spring we're going to be offering a marriage class to help put some practical tools in people's hands. But you know what? We need to do our part to be the wife God's created us to be. But we also need to recognize that we may need some godly counsel, and that is absolutely okay. There is never, ever shame in that. You know, we can't always determine every outcome because God's given every person a free will. But doing our part to obey the word, to be the wife that God's called us to be and follow the instructions that he's laid out for us, has the power to do absolute miracles in our marriages, has the power to turn around relationships if we're willing to do our part. And we always need to know that we have done absolutely everything that God's laid out for us and that God has instructed us to do. Proverbs 14.1 says that the wise woman builds her house but the foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Ladies, are we building our homes, our marriages, our families, or are we tearing them down with our own hands, with our own words? We need to be women that are willing to do our part that God has created us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.